Welcome to Out and About, a forum about transgender issues in the news. I'm Melissa Lukes. Thanks for joining me. Harrison Brown remembers all those goals he scored for his team that felt triumphant until the announcer called his name. Then it just didn't feel right. Brown was identifying less and less with his birth name and female gender, even though he was playing professional hockey in the National Women's Hockey League, the NWHL. I just had this double life going on, and I just kind of got sick of it, Brown told CBC News. So in advance of this season, the 23-year-old forward with the Buffalo Boats made a request to officially change his name with the league. Brown is believed to be the first pro athlete in North America who has come out as transgender and is still competing. This move has made headlines in Canada and, and in the United States in recent weeks. That's as news of his transition spreads through the four-team hockey league and through other hockey circles. So far, the five-foot-four-inch forward from Oakville, Ontario, who played for the Canadian under-18 under-18 team in international competition back in 2011, hasn't gone further to alter his gender, though he does plan to look into options such as hormone treatments once his hockey career is finished. I didn't feel myself at all when I would be announced as Haley or they'd be saying, she had a good game, she scored this many goals, or something to that effect, Brown said of his birth name. I didn't feel connected to that at all. Most of the time, he feels publicly identifying as a male is enough, though there are still times when he has tinges of discomfort. When I have to get into a certain bathroom, when I have to get referred to as ma'am, when I'm referred to as oh, she over there, young lady, or something like that, that's when it's tough. That's when it's really difficult, and I'm not sure how much longer I can take this, he said. Brown went to an all-girls school in elementary school, but his gender identity question started later as a 14-year-old. I used to say, I don't think I'm in the right body, he recalled before one-on-one practice one day. People would say, you're just gay, and I thought, I don't think that's what it is. And so Brown started telling people to address him as male. He told his teammates on the University of Maine team back in his second year, and he began coming out to some family members at the same time. He first told his parents two years ago, and it's still a work in progress. My family's coming around, although it is an adjustment period, he said. You obviously never want your kid to go through a hard life, and this is not the easiest route that you could possibly go. With the Buffalo team, his teammates have been using he or him to describe Brown from the start of last season. Fellow forward Devin Skeets, first met Brown in 2015. For her, learning about Brown's gender identity hardly even registered. He just kind of told me in passing pretty much, said the Whitby, Ontario native, who also had a transgender friend in the past. It wasn't any surprise to me. It was just like, okay, cool, quote unquote. This season, the two are roommates along with one other Boats player. Brown first approached the league about a name and gender change in the summer of this year. Later, Buffalo Boats coach and general manager Rick Sealing got involved to help. How hard was it for Sealing, a 57-year-old former NHLer, to work out a deal with the league? Well, he said, we probably had it done in five minutes. The NWHL is now working on an official transgender policy with You Can Play, 
an organization focused on ensuring LGBT inclusion in sports. A very nice story from the world of sports. A prominent transgender rights activist hopes as a new camp for trans people in Australia opens, it will help members of the community overcome mental health issues sometimes experienced when transitioning. I thought the story was interesting because it is from Australia, the other side of the world, and kind of nice for a snapshot of what's happening there. About 20 people attended the opening of this camp in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia, which organizers say is aimed at providing support and education. One of the guest speakers at the event was Martine Delaney, who began transitioning in 2001 and has been a lobbyist and activist for 15 years. It's good to see a camp like this happening, said Ms. Delaney. It's, very, it's a very scary road to begin journeying down, to actually step out and say, I don't fit into the box I was squeezed into at birth. A camp like this can provide people with an enormous amount of support to begin a journey or take the steps that they need to be able to live a healthy life rather than be confronted with issues of drug and alcohol abuse or possibly think about suicide. It's as serious as that for some people. She said it was sad that a camp like this was so necessary because, quote, our society hasn't grown up sufficiently that people can be themselves without having to work up a lot of courage. Organizers hope the camp will become an annual fixture in Tasmania, Australia. To my knowledge, there are no other national trans camps happening in Australia, and so let's make it happen, said Avery Holden's Rodham, head of Transgender Tasmania. I just thought it would be nice to have a weekend where members of the trans community could just come and forget the stress that can often come with day-to-day life and meet other trans people who are at a range of points in their journey. One of the campers, Jess, said being able to speak to people in similar situations was invaluable. Quote, I'm definitely at the early stages of transitioning. I'm still kind of figuring out where to go, what I want. And being able to speak to people who understand that narrative is really useful, Jess said. Another camper, Des, who identifies as non-binary, agreed. Des is about to begin medically transitioning. Quote, I think the support side of things that trans camp is including is really, really important. It's such an incredibly positive thing for everybody. Having that space, having those people just feeling okay and expressing yourself. It's a really, really positive thing. It can definitely be tough going clothes shopping. Going clothes shopping can be a cause of anxiety for many transgender people. So a few months before the camp, Mr. Holdenness Rodham put out a call on social media for clothing donations. I thought that a few friends would donate clothes and suddenly we had hundreds and hundreds of clothes in masculine and feminine styles. We've got bags and scarves and shoes and people have donated makeup and nail polish and all sorts of things. It's fantastic, he said. With most of the people donating, they've not just gone. I'm sorry, with most of the people donating, they've not just said, hey, I've got some clothes. They've said, it's great you guys are doing this. I really want to help the trans community. It's really been beautiful having all this positive energy being sent in with all these clothes. Jess said she was grateful that the people had been so generous. It can definitely be tough going clothes shopping when you're transitioning or questioning because there's a lot of stigma attached with that. 
I'd like to say I'm aware of uh, at least two transgender camps here in the United States, one of which I believe is in Massachusetts, and I'll be getting into detail on those in future programs. It's a, it's a great little phenomenon that has begun for trans people. Very much needed. Let's move on to another story here. From the time he was five years old, Shane Ortega knew that he did not identify with the gender he was assigned with at birth. His mother was a member of the National Community Church, the NCC, which accepts individuals from the LGBT community and is part of the LGBT community itself. These factors allowed him to be knowledge about the LGBT community starting from a very young age. In addition, he spent summers with his grandmother, who was part of the Iroquois and Cherokee tribes, and lives on a reservation. She recognized that he was, quote, two spirits. That's a Cherokee word that means someone who does not fit into the traditional gender binary. As part of Love Your Body Week, the NCC Women's Center brought Ortega, the first openly transgender man in the military, to speak about his experiences in and out of the military. This is what's really interesting about this individual. Ortega served 11 years in the United States military and completed three combat tours, two as a Marine and one in the Army. When he began his service, he was registered in the Army as female. For the final two years of his service, Ortega was not allowed to participate in active duty because of the transgender ban. In July of this past year, the ban that prohibited transgender people from serving in the military was lifted. Ortega was the first public face and the private force behind the legislation that lifted that ban. With the help of Joshua Block, an American Civil Rights Liberties Union, a Civil Liberties Union attorney, I should say, they drafted a 400-page dissertation that was crucial in pushing forward the legislation. Ortega worked tirelessly for years, using all his vacation days to meet with representatives and upper-level military officials that would be able to help him in removing this ban. Ortega talked about the lengths he went to to cultivate a public image that would positively contribute to getting this ban lifted. In order to show that he fit the mold that society thinks men should fit into, he entered a bodybuilding bodybuilding competition. For his entire military service, Ortega portrayed portrayed himself as a hyper-masculine person and connected this to his activity and his activist work. When the trans-military ban was lifted this previous July, it was the accomplishment of 11 years of effort, 11 years of perfection, and 11 years of being this super hyper-masculine person in order to move the ball down the court, he said. He talked about how, in American society, men are expected to be tough, strong, and emotionless in order to properly embody the idea of masculinity. The concept and practice of hyper-masculinity are toxic to both cisgender and transgender men and women. He explained how in his own experiences and other experiences that he has observed, either gaining or giving up masculinity is one of the hardest parts of transitioning. During the question and answer part of his talk, which lasted over an hour, Ortega was asked how he deals with people who ask rude, invasive, or ignorant questions. He responded that in these situations, he attempts to help that person find the root of his or her ignorant beliefs. He recounted times in his activist career when he met met different hardships. 
Some of those hardships included a Ku Klux Klan member yelling slurs at him at an Arkansas McDonald's. He was also talked down to and insulted by a U.S. representative, so he's seen it all. When he was asked if he's ever been bothered by what people say to him and why he continues in his quest, Ortega said he does it for the people who need him to do it. It's how much suffering I can take for another person and why, he said. The reason I do what I do is because it creates opportunities for other people that would have never been created had anyone not stayed the path. Great story. That's all we have time for today. I'll be back soon with more news about transgender issues. If you'd like to contact me or have news items you'd like for me to discuss here on Out and About, feel free to email me at wnhhmelissa at yahoo.com. Again, my email address is wnhhmelissa at yahoo.com. This is Melissa Lukes. Thanks for listening. I'll talk with you again soon.